I guess I've just always had this like wild optimism, like, like before I found out, before I even knew what the hell manifestation was or anything like that. Um, I, I just ended up visualizing, I guess, what I wanted and, and oftentimes I would get it. Right. And I resonate so much with other Aries women because of that. I mean, I, I know it's part of the human condition sometimes to be stir crazy, but I feel like as an Aries, we identify very much with that restlessness and that drive and that constant need for adventure, the sense of adventure, the chasing the adventure, the change, the fight, you know, ruled by Mars. There's always a fight and a battle, you know, and it's usually if there's really not one, I'm creating one. Aries is the initiator. Aries is the spark to the engine that gets things going. You can feel it in your body when you wake up. You can feel it in your body when spring comes. Some early chlorophyll or spring flowers show themselves and we get excited. It excites our passions and makes us want to act on what we imagined in the preceding season. Historically, we took action on the vision and preparation of the manifestation and fruition found in the next sign or season, Taurus. With the energy of fire, vision, engagement, purpose, and release, we come to a basic necessity, choice. After learning the basics of natural law as humans on the planet Earth, and Capricorn and coming to an authentic expression of self that has an ability to creatively dance with natural law, Aquarius, and connecting with our highest, most beautiful dream possible in the season of Pisces. We are ready to take action on that authentic dream and give it the energy necessary to make it manifest in Taurus season. Aries is the season of cardinal fire. Cardinality because of its occurrence on the equinox when the strengthening sun gathers more time than the winter when the dream state prevailed. In Aries, we wake up. Every day when we wake up, we have choices to make. Those choices define ourself. Those choices set into motion a series of events which have a ripple effect for the next 365 days where we have another opportunity to choose. The moon enters its season of Aries every month. There is a first quarter square of the moon to the sun every month. Those are two magical opportunities we have every month to make fresh choices. Historically, with the sun and Aries, our ancestors had to make these choices in terms of their survival for at least the next year. All of our choices are crucial. This is the time historically when our ancestors celebrated the return of solar heat. Feasting occurred with the remaining abundance and celebration that we made it through another year of hunting and gathering and later farming. If we made it with abundance, we felt really, really good about ourselves and we felt strong. But its shadow, that strength, might wish to impose its will without thought to another's will. And from that, we get the spectrum of colors called war. Moreover, if we have 
not successfully completed the previous cycle, then at this time we can feel fear. We can panic and make unwise choices based primarily on our fear of death. And a struggle to defeat death, the endless battle between fear and courage and the motivations to either succumb to our succumb to or to conquer fear is the deepest meaning of this season. That was uh, from Ryan Evans, Aries report uh, that he posted last week. Um, Ryan Evans, I I invited him on a few weeks ago to the show uh, to talk about his seasonal archetypology. And I have exciting news that Ryan is now uh, transplanted back to the state of Wisconsin in the Driftless region. And um, through the blessed opportunity of having met this beacon of understanding of the natural cycles and the rhythms of the zodiac through the lens of nature and seasons. I am (laughs) supporting Ryan in the path of creating a book, of grounding uh, his vision into an actual physical copy. It's, It's so amazing to me that because I ended up at some silly school in the Midwest in the Plains, I got to meet the beautiful, amazing, radiant Shana Meshbesher and that she introduced me to Ryan. And I, I feel, I just feel overwhelmed at all the tiny connections in our lives that weave together something that is incomprehensible. You know, this idea of trust. Trust is incomprehensible. Why we put faith in anything is incomprehensible to me. It's not logical. It's something that you feel deep in your gut. And I got to spend the weekend with uh, Shana, bless her, and with Ryan. We translated and dictated words and magic, uh, and we're going to continue to do that. So stay tuned for Seasonal Archetypology by Ryan Evans with the help, support, love, and enthusiasm of Lauren K. Hickman. So starting off this episode with a land acknowledgement, I'm here on what's known as Milwaukee, on what's known as Lake Michigan, on the land of Kickapoo, Potawatomi, and Menominee nations. It's always important to remember where we are. This is a doubleheader being the final episode of Aries season. Really excited for the energy moving ahead, you know. Um, but I, I'm really glad to have interviewed two incredible Aries professional women. They probably wouldn't think of themselves as professional women uh, because these silly, warm hearted, incredible souls are just as <laughs> random and energetic as I am. So I have Maggie Suits, who is a mental health counselor. Uh, who trained in EMDR and is now seeing clients, as well as Angela, who is a dear friend of mine that I met out in New York City, who shares her story of um, shares her story of recovery and being an Aries woman, and uh, now in law school and raising a daughter. She's just such such a sweet spirit, and I think you're going to really enjoy these two voices, these two stories of wild optimism, as Maggie put it. The restlessness that Angela describes in that search for adventure. What else? What else do I have to say? This is the first time I felt optimistic in a long time. 
Ryan Evans pointed out to me this weekend that, of course, the sun has moved above my horizon line in my chart, but I think that there's there's more to it than that. But for me, uniquely, individually, I, I certainly feel more optimistic than I have in a long time. Uh, the MRI breast biopsy came back negative. Um, I don't have to go in for another six months. Hooray. I am going to start telling people that a bear cub took a bite out of my arm because the scar is going to be epic. Just saying. Uh, so that was from my melanoma surgery recently. So you will hear me telling everyone to wear sunscreen this summer and cover up, especially if you are freckly and blue eyed like myself. We have, you know, some, some planets shifting energy today as I, um, as I record this report and spent the day editing material, the, the moon is stabilized in Taurus. I mean, the moon changes signs every two and a half days, FYI. Next week, um, Venus is going to move into Taurus. and We're going to certainly feel a, a shift, a wild shift from this sort of get up and go optimism, the very powerful new moon energy this past weekend, just really zazzing us with, is that a word? Zazzing us with Aries energy, that cardinal initiatory fire, that sense of self-worth, that connection. Um, but these are deep times, my friends, deep times um, with the Pluto square to that energy there certainly has been some introspection, some emotional analysis, uh, some depth, some transformation uh, available to us should we wish to work with that energy. So as much as I say it's bright and fiery and happy and optimistic, and I'm sure you read a lot of reports that it was like, it's sexy time, it's you know time for this, time for that. Uh, you just be where you're at, you know, because this, this uh, astrological energy affects all of us differently. And you know, it's it's not really about prediction. It's about knowing where we're at right now and how that might affect us, especially with um, that lens of seasonal archetypology where we're, we're stepping into a new time and new energy. And right now I'm cold. You know, I, I think that the cardinal energy, the winds shifting and the sun finally coming out for the first time in six months where I'm at. Uh, it's it's really shifting the energy and it just does feel like movement forward. And we'll move into the more stabilized spring season of Taurus here soon enough and watch the flowers bloom and the air warm a bit more depending on where you're at and feeling, feeling beauty, planting seeds, manifestation, that earth quality of Taurus. I want to address the the anxiety that I think I'm sensing on the collective, um, the collective consciousness of social media. Thank you, Instagram and other platforms. This amazing astrologer that I'm really excited to interview here pretty soon. She, she posted on her page, this really funny meme about like, I don't know if I own Instagram or if Instagram is owning me. It's a good question to ponder for yourself and your relationship with technology as we go through the Saturn return of the internet. Relate accordingly. <laughs> I know that as we start to get double vaccinated, I have my second vaccine on Friday. And that brings me to the next statement about social anxiety and like us getting back to seeing people in person. Please make space for yourself. Don't abandon yourself. We've all been through a lot 
it's been abnormal. There's nothing that's been like this in our lifetimes. So no one really knows how to act or what's the best thing to do. There is a lot of judgment, a lot of criticism being cast one direction or another. Um, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Some people still aren't eating in restaurants or going to pick up coffee. A lot of people who are still scared or fearing going back to quote unquote normal. You know, this idea of going back to cubicle spaces and halls of people and festivals. And a lot of people are super stoked and really excited to get back. Like, but that doesn't mean that I'm not totally having anxiety riddled dreams about being in public spaces. So let's, let's keep respecting and being mindful of each other and working with boundaries, <laughs> which is always a topic for these conversations, especially when it comes to empathic work. And this year has been about physical boundaries. So remember, you can say no. You can say, I'm not ready. Not now. Maybe later. Call me tomorrow. So keep checking in with yourself. Keep paying attention to what's going on inside of you. Just wanted to address that because the constant of change is real. It's very real <laughs> as we move from season to season. Uh, so I'm really, really looking forward to the, the stabilizing force of Taurus maybe finding some grounding, some space in that, finding some beauty, finding some inspiration, right? So let's keep dreaming. Let's keep dreaming. Astrology report says on Friday, have an adventure, whether that's just up the block for you, uh, opening up a new book. Just keep dreaming, baby. Stay inspired. The Kind Oasis brand was created with the belief that premium organic CBD should be affordable and accessible to those who need it most. As someone who has used hemp-derived CBD to support my own wellness, I have to say I really like this product. Their tincture is simple, a full-spectrum CBD and fractionated coconut oil. That's it. They also have potent homemade gummies that are a delight and the CBD is available in capsules or in a topical balm. Go to kindoasis.com and use offer code Inspired Astrology to get 20% off your order. So, Maggie Suits, welcome to the SpaceCast. So, as a fellow Aries friend and human being, I just thought I would invite you on to hear your experience, strength, and hope with what it's been like so far as an Aries human. Ha ha ha. Fiery. I, I was just taken by you. First time that we got acquainted at when I was working at Campbell's Nutrition in the supplement room. Me and too. you're just, you know, you're tall, you're covered in tattoos. You're <laughs> just like so joyful. I think that's one of the things that I love the most about you is your directness and your joy. And you just don't give a fuck, you know? And, and, I, and I love that. I mean, I know how sensitive you are, you know, and you have a Libra moon and you're always like weighing options and stuff. But I, I think that I've seen you grow so much in the time that we've known one another. You decided to change career paths. And you committed to taking Reiki and started, you know, working with astral soul, kind of journeying and uh, intentional ritual and magic in your life. And I just yeah. love to get an idea of like what, what kind of soil you came up in and 
what made you who you are today? You, I, I know that's kind of a vague question, but I think that it's a great place to get an idea of like where you were, what happened and what it's like now for you. It's funny because I was just talking about childhood with a beloved friend the other day and you know, they were asking me like, oh, did you see this movie when you're a kid? And, da, da, da. and I'm like, no. Yeah. Okay. So you never watched 16 Candles. Big deal. Right. No. Yeah. I, I missed out on a lot of 80s pop culture, except for music. Like I always had my stereo going, but I didn't see most of those mu- movies and stuff until I was an adult because I was infatuated with the supernatural and like when I was in grade school, all the little girls were reading like Babysitter's Club and Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I still haven't read those books because I was reading about the Bermuda Triangle and ghosts and Atlantis and shit. So <laughs> probably because I, you know, I've had supernatural experiences for as far back as I can remember. And I guess I've just wanted to know more about them. Um, No one else in my family seemed to have them. So I was sort of left to my own devices to where in high school, I would dumpster dive for supernatural books behind half price books in Clive. So I didn't have to pay for them, you know, because I was broke. But I mean, we I think that had we met as kids, we would have been having seances as much as we possibly could because that, that's what I agree. was into. Like, you know, Egyptology, Greek yes. mythology, that was all, <laughs> that's what I was reading. You know, I wanted to learn about archaeology and I yep. would read all the books on <laughs> unicorns and like the mythical creatures and only sci-fi, like dealing with dragons and... Uh, Man, and, if only we'd had each other. <laughs> We have each other now, Maggie. We and that's do. What counts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So that I mean that makes me think of some of the the Aries independence in a way. I, I know that I was always a lone wolf as a kid, not because I didn't get along with others, but you know, you you sort of get that can do spirit, and you're like, I'd rather do it alone than have to deal with your crap. You know, other humans. So <laughs> tell yeah. me what that like if that was true of your experience as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm an only child, so I was alone a lot. I kind of got some training, like I'd spend weekends every now and then with my cousin Jenny, who is, she's like four months older than me and um, is the youngest of four girls. So she was absorbed all of their, you know, like bad habits. And that's where I learned the word fuck. And she was she liked to control me a little bit because she didn't have control like they all picked on her so she picked on me so I guess in a way I did kind of have siblings but they were whenever I wanted them to be um I got picked on and bullied a lot at school usually by well it started off when I was younger by the boys because I was the tallest one in school until eighth grade and then more like learning to deal with like going from the physical bullying from guys to relational bullying from girls was interesting and then going from like in your face bullying and follow you home bullying from public school to behind your back destroyed reputation bullying in catholic school those were pretty different so I guess I've been through a lot of a lot of different scenarios in my life and training into my not giving a fuck. I give lots of fucks and I'm trying to give fewer fucks (laughs) really, 
but I, I don't know. It's like, even through all of that, I still couldn't not be me. And I didn't want to fit in a mold and I didn't want to look like everyone else and read and do what everyone else was doing. I just wanted to do what made me like what felt right for me. And if somebody else didn't like it, they can fuck off. You know, I guess, I don't know. I try to live by that ideal. Aries have to learn to be brave uh, in multiple circumstances. So you learn to escape that that uh, that life and you moved and had opportunities come up for you what are some of the some of the adventures that you had oh my god so many (laughs) so yeah after high school I moved up to Minneapolis I went to University of Minnesota and I changed my major like three times in less than a year and was like you know (laughs) my life has been all about school like I was I was an A student throughout school and I just I was done I needed a break um and it's hard to be in classes with 400 plus kids like how can you focus how can you learn with that you know so I dropped out against my parents' wishes but I think they were probably secretly happy to not pay 19 grand a year anymore for out-of-state tuition Um, and that was part of it. I was like, I didn't want to waste my parents' money, you know, fucking around with school when I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just, I got an apartment with like three gay dudes in Loring Park and it turned into like a flop house and a party house and three dudes turned into six dudes, turned into like eight dudes and I was like okay this is too much and the cops are getting called on parties so I'm gonna go live on Madeline Island up in Wisconsin for a while <laughs> so I lived um above Tom's Burn Down Cafe which was a bar like an open air bar and worked there underage under the radar and like bathed in Lake Superior and hung out with people and then like I was getting calls that we were getting evicted so I had to go home and move and anyway yeah I lived in a lot of places in Minneapolis and had a lot of roommates I had a lot of jobs a lot of crazy jobs um because I like to I don't know it's like if you find a cool job and you don't really know what career you want to do you might as well like learn something while you're getting paid for it, you know, and my dad always taught me to change my own oil and change my tires and check shit under the hood. So I I already knew some of that stuff and did it with my own cars. So I was like, well, shit, why not? I'll apply at Valvoline. I think it was 34th and Hennepin. And yeah, I was, I ended up being a senior technician. That is where I met Sean from Atmosphere and later found out I I didn't even know until I met my friend Natalie in Portland when I moved out there that um, she's a super fan (laughs) and there was this song called Dirty Girl where like the first half was about this voluptuous chick working at um, a lube shop and I was like what and so there was a song written about me and I was like holy shit <laughs> dirty um, girl yeah yeah <laughs> that's what we're calling the episode maggie sorry about that <laughs> that's <Yeah>. cool 
how your attention span is? Like, do you feel like you start a lot of things and don't finish it or you? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on then. You didn't even need to finish that sentence. (laughs) Well, and yeah, I'm, I'm Aries sun and Leo rising. So I'm double fire. And then I've got the Libra moon, which brings that sort of balance in there and maybe a little bit more calm, but it's air. So it like makes my fire bigger. And then my Venus is Taurus, which, you know, like, hope I feel like maybe that might ground me a little more. Well, I mean, I remember you moving out to, you said Portland. What were you doing out there? I was 27 and was bartending at like the cool bar in downtown Des Moines. And I, you know, like getting closer to 30 and like, I've, I want, I want to find somebody and there wasn't, there weren't any real prospects around here. And plus like who wants to date the bartender at the cool bar because if shit goes South and you can't go there anymore, <laughs> you know? So Portland seemed cool. I knew actually, yeah, I think I knew one person out there. Uh, my friend Lauren at the time and I moved out there together and kind of like grew our own lives while we lived together for a little while and then lived separately. But um, I went to school out there um, and kept up with that. Yeah, it took, she found a job right away and it took me months. So I got creative and somebody in my scooter club um, needed like a gardener for his yard his property so I ate the plums that fell from the trees on his property and I walked the most amazing boxer white boxer named Lucy like twice a week and got paid 20 bucks a week and then I'd like secretly raid their fridge and was very careful about putting things back and didn't eat too much because I'm considerate but I was really hungry (laughs) if security is kind of important to you with the Venus and Taurus like how how have you made that work for you? Yeah, and just lived off of student loans. And I don't know, I, I got down to absolutely nothing. I didn't even have a penny to my name out there. I, in fact, I used my last dollar in the whole world to tip the bartender on my PBR because I was like, fuck it. What, what do I, what can I do with this? You know? <laughs> So how did how did you stay optimistic in those times, you know, because you've mentioned a few times like feeling broke or being at square one or like not having what you needed. I've had a lot of awesome friends that have helped me out along the way. Bar none. Without them, I probably wouldn't have eaten, probably wouldn't have had a place to live or help with rent sometimes, you know, things like that. Sharing meals. I guess I've just always had this like wild optimism like before I found out before I even knew what the hell manifestation was or anything like that I I just ended up visualizing I guess what I wanted and and oftentimes I would get it like if I really wanted this apartment I would find myself getting that apartment if I really wanted that job I mean I guess in Portland it was hard because people with PhDs were at that time, we're like competing for dishwasher jobs is disgusting, um, overcrowded, which is a big reason why I left. And all the guys out there were total wieners. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm 
I'm really like, like you said, are you good at starting things and not finishing them? I'm like, yeah, I'm an idea person. Like I'm great at like, oh, you want to do it? Let's do it right now, right now while the momentum's going. And then I fizzle out and then something else. I think about something else. So like a perfect partnership would be like me starting it and charging ahead. And then the other person being like, okay, I'm going to take the reins and I'll finish this. (laughs) I mean, you've just finished a huge school program. I mean, it took you a while because, you know, kids and life and all the things. Yeah. Because you're good. You're good in school. You just weren't ready to go back to college at 18. But right. You know, I want to talk more about, you know, the supernatural experience. Well, something that came to mind earlier when we were talking about childhood and supernatural and stuff, there were times when I would take people's headaches away. And I didn't know what I was doing, but for some reason I like, you know, I'd sit on the floor and have them like my cousin, Jenny. I remember very vividly one time we were sitting in her living room and she, I had her put her head on my lap laying down and I closed my eyes and like drew a line across her forehead. Like I was making an incision and then like pulled it open And then I would just like go along her head and pull out what I envisioned like green goo or something, which was the headache. And I would just keep doing that and like throwing it off um, until there wasn't, I wasn't pulling any more out. And then I'd like suture it up, you know, and then she's like, my headache's gone. I'm like, whoa, really? And it took some time, but, and I've, I've, did that more than once and I thought well shit maybe maybe I am kind of a healer or something and so then when I got into Reiki when you got me into Reiki a couple years ago I that stuff kind of started making more sense to me so thinking about the stuff I did as a kid and when I was super into magic and like the desire to heal people and like I would my dad was a hunter and he hunted pheasant mainly and he would bring the dead pheasants home and I would take them uh into my parents bedroom and try to reanimate them (laughs) of course unfortunately I was never successful yeah all of those things started to make more sense once I started to get into Reiki and I was like yeah I'm I'm a healer that's that's my path in this life and I was already in school like, I, so I just graduated from, for those who don't know me, I just graduated from Drake with a master's in clinical mental health counseling. And I'm not super, I don't like to practice in a clinical way at all. And I feel like I'm more holistic and even spiritual. I, I end up attracting clients with spiritual dilemmas. And we end up talking about this kind of stuff a lot, which is like the best feeling in the world when it's your job um, to help people work through their issues, you know, and they trust you. But yeah, so I was doing Reiki while I was already in this, like, school to become another type of healer. So now I've got like two, at least two different modalities of healing that I I just want to keep adding to at some point. Sounds like you found something to commit to. I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I got made fun of most of my life for like, oh, is Maggie ever going to finish anything? And like, I mean, to the point where it got abusive at times from people Mm. and gave me a complex. And I wondered many times whether I was going to finish my program or not. I'm like, 
yeah, I'm going to finish. This is my path. This is my thing. During this last year, you know, finishing school and you um, received your EMDR license. And, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear like what that's, what that experience has been like for you, how you've applied it to your own healing journey and what you look forward to in supporting new clientele as, as you step into this new phase of your adult life and your career. I got trained in EMDR last summer um, after being on the receiving end of it. I was a client of EMDR. Um, I think I started two and a half years ago with that because I'm trained in trauma and it's one of my main focuses um, in my career. But even before I started my career, when I was in at the beginning of my master's program, I was being trained in trauma and, you know, like learning sexual trauma responses and things like that. EMDR ended up uncovering, like, it's like I had these really super vivid things, like a movie, like a short film playing behind my eyes, but I didn't have any memory of it happen. Like it wasn't a memory and I didn't have any like, well, I did have some physical sensation actually with one of them. So maybe for people who aren't familiar with EMDR, now that you're trained with it and you'll be able to work with clients on that, tell, tell me about what exactly it is and why you think it's beneficial. Oh, right. Um, there's lots of people who don't know what that is. <laughs> so it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And it's a way to bilaterally stimulate your brain in order to bring forth trauma that is stuck in, in a person's unconscious, which is way like the biggest part of your, of your brain, way, way in the back that holds trauma. The way that trauma works is when you experience like, so the front of your brain is conscious mind, right behind that is like another fairly smallish sliver called the subconscious and then back there the huge part is the unconscious and when you experience a trauma no matter how great or seemingly small um, a trauma is a trauma and it goes straight through shoots right back um, through the the first two layers and settles right back into the unconscious and if you, you know, like most people, or like, I shouldn't say most people, like a lot of people, when you don't talk about it, and you just bury it, it stays back there. And you think, you know, if I don't talk about this, it didn't happen. Or if I don't think about it, it's not gonna affect me, which is really wrong, because trauma is also stored in our muscle tissue, and our cells, and like cell memory. That's why when you with your senses, hearing something um, can be triggering or smells or tastes, things like that can trigger you into a PTSD episode. So it's still there. So then we use EMDR to bring the trauma forward into the conscious brain. And oftentimes trauma, when we're trying to process it, gets stuck in the right hemisphere of the brain, which is the feeling and the emotional side of the brain. So oftentimes during EMDR, we'll stop and ask, like, you know, what came up that time? Or after watching somebody's fingers go back and forth with your eyes, nothing else moving, just your eyes. 
that's a popular one, or you can hold buzzies that buzz in each hand. Um, or there's a light bar, tapping, shit, even walking or running. Any bilateral movement is EMDR. So in order to, you know, like by talking about what came up while you're during the bilateral stimulation and then asking like, okay, rate that, how disturbed are you from one to 10? By bringing those aspects into it, it then moves into the left, like it gets the left hemisphere of the brain, the logical part involved so that you're using your entire brain to reprocess this trauma. And the more you talk about it and the more you you stimulate both sides of your brain to reprocess the trauma, the neural pathways connected to that trauma start to desensitize. I mean, I don't think they ever really go away. You know, like we don't forget trauma that's happened to us. It just, the point of EMDR is to get you to the point where you're not being triggered by it anymore. And when you remember it, it's just like you observe it. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to be traumatized by it anymore. And then every time you you make these reprocessing and and healthier choices, you're creating new neural pathways and and strengthening those the more you do those. So that's a really long <laughs> drawn out way to explain it, but it's a pretty it's a pretty intricate process. It's very detailed. Not all therapists are comfortable doing EMDR over virtual because sometimes things happen during sessions that kind of require that that physical presence to be there with someone is my understanding sometimes Um, yeah um i mean i've i've only been seeing clients virtually since last march and i've done plenty of emdr sessions over the over the computer and you know i that's why i always say like hey you have my number if something comes up call and we'll talk it through you know, just in case, but the extra support. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can't do it in person. That's yeah. That's a great point. Bilateral stimulation, activating both the right and left hemispheres of the brain, yeah. bringing up these memories from the buried, is it the unconscious to the subconscious and then to the conscious mind? Yeah. You said that was the layers, yep. right? Okay. And can people activate that just by going running? I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned the bilateral movement. Do you think that's why a lot of people enjoy running? I know there's a lot of runners who just go and go and go and go. Uh, I am not one of those. <laughs> but uh, how, how can someone activate this kind of presence for themselves, you know, on their own? Do they need a therapist to do EMDR? I think yes, um, because you need a trained professional to guide you through it, to really, to really process through some of the difficult things. I mean, you can say like running is EMDR because it kind of is only in that it's bilateral stimulation because you're moving both sides of your body rhythmically. That's what I would, I would liken it more to a meditative state. It's not any, I mean, there's people who go for, like when I go for a power walk or a run, sometimes I do it because I need to either work off some energy or work through some shit through emotions or mental issues you know some of that stuff and it does help you get the endorphins going which you know obviously help chemically but 
if you notice, I mean, even if you're doing creative things, if you notice like you end up like sometimes memories come up or able to work through or ideas of how to work through a problem that you're experiencing right now that you couldn't, you just felt like blocked or like hit a wall before you went on that walk or run. You're, yeah, it's just a different way to, to process through things. But I, if you're going to do EMDR and process through trauma, I wouldn't try to do it by yourself. I would get a trained professional. You mentioned trauma and being trained in trauma therapy as part of your clinical mental health um, licensure. And I'd love to get your perspective or your definition of what trauma is and how it impacts humans. I, I think trauma is anything that negatively impacts your existence we can experience trauma being born, you know, if, if mom had a difficult birth, even scraping your knee is a trauma. And I guess what happens when you scrape your knee could make an even bigger impact on that trauma. You know, Aries is associated with Mars and, you know, the God of war, sharp objects, surgical objects. Like that's why I mentioned like tattoos and, you know, instruments and sharp things, you know, not because Aries are like psychosurgeons or something <laughs> like that, but, but it's, it's this idea of like, I think bravery often comes through experiencing trauma and recognizing that you can overcome those experiences of pain and suffering and hardship mm. because we can integrate it and, and grow a bigger heart, I suppose. Thankfully, trauma is starting to be more widely recognized in the mental health field. I think for a long time, it was poo-pooed. It wasn't taken seriously. And since the advent of EMDR and people seeing all of these clients make these amazing changes and improvements in in their mental health, simply by reprocessing through their trauma, then it's like, oh, shit, maybe there is something to this. I think if you're alive, you've experienced trauma. When you look at the root of, I feel like trauma is at the root of just about every, I'm not going to say every, because there are some disorders that are genetic. But I mean, granted, you need trauma, some form of trauma to flip that genetic switch, right? So people often, and you can correct me because you're more experienced in this field, but people, I don't think, start drinking or doing drugs unless they have experienced a trauma. It's a form of self-medicating when you can't get help in some ways. Not all, but a lot. And then we look at complex PTSD, which is another kind of up-and-coming form of PTSD people are looking into. And I've looked into it with a few of my clients and we've done some CPTSD workbooks together and they've discovered a lot about themselves. And like some people have been misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder or I don't know, different forms of like anxiety or panic disorder. And even so far as schizophrenia, but it could, it could be the case that it's not that severe. It could be misdiagnosed as complex trauma and complex trauma can refer to 
a really significant, like one significant event that's huge and impacts your daily life for a really long time, or it can just be an acute, you know, like chronic, chronic trauma, experiencing trauma repeatedly over and over and over for a long period of time. That can cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. Trauma affects your genetics, how we process things, how we, our personality, everything. So I think if you're going to be in the mental health field and to, to deny that trauma is a significant issue is irresponsible. What made you want to become a, a mental health counselor? Honestly, like in thinking of a career path, I was like, people have always come to me with their problems. Like they just, when I bartended customers, I didn't even know would just start telling me their whole life story. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. This, it's an honor that you feel this comfortable talking to me about this like super heavy shit. So that was one thing. And then another thing is like, I've, I've been through a lot of shit in my life that I thought, you know, <laughs> I've, I've managed to overcome a lot of things in my life, a lot of crazy circumstances and I feel like all of these lessons would be going to waste if I just kept them for myself so maybe I can use all of the shit that's that I've experienced to help someone else who may be experiencing something similar sometime in the future and I do end up using some of those things sometimes as a yeah, as a former bartender myself, I <laughs> I get I get that that sense of um, you know boundaries and disclosure that come in those spaces because people get lubed up yep. on on substances and then they kind of come unglued or overshare or you know find emotional spaces, which unfortunately, I mean, you think bars are kind of sold as these fun places, but they're often filled with with traumatized people or drama filled people. And, you know, it just, it just depends, honestly, you know, how, how have you started to develop better boundaries for yourself? I'm 40 years old and I never thought that I, I always thought that bound, I have, I've never had boundaries or, I mean, that's not true. Everybody's got boundaries. They just may not realize that they have them. I didn't have enough boundaries until I learned about them fairly recently. And I'm, I'm still learning on how to establish them in healthy ways. I would, I used to consider myself as a doormat and let people walk all over me um, because I didn't have enough boundaries. And then, you know, of course, then I would be the one getting hurt. I would, I, they wouldn't be hurting me really in that scenario. I would be hurting myself in that scenario. So I've been hurting myself for a very long time. And I need to start loving myself some more and figuring out what that means and how to do that, especially being in this profession. I mean, people are exchanging a lot of energy with me in their sessions. And I have never been a very grounded person being double fire in some air. So I have been trying to find ways to stay more grounded and meditation has been a huge thing for me. Like people have been trying to tell me for fucking years to meditate. And I always resisted it until finally 
like a month and a half ago, I'm like, all right, things in my life are out of control right now. They're not manageable. I am medicated and about to increase my dose of medication and on an emergency anti-panic medication. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm such a natural person. What can I do? And then that's when I started adopting like a serious, like two to three times a day of meditation practice with breath work with Haley. And it's turned, it's, it's turned my life around in a lot of ways. So I think even just meditating, like in between clients, I'll just kind of sit there and ground and meditate for a couple of minutes, even if it's just a couple of minutes and like invoke the violet flame of transmutation and slough off some of their stuff. <clears throat> and it helps like compassionate detachment helps. Um, that's a tricky one to get into, to get the hang of when you don't have enough boundaries and you uh, are super sensitive and possibly empathic or empathetic toward other people, you inevitably end up um, absorbing some or a lot of their energy and troubles. You got to be really careful about that, and which I have to be really careful about that because I'm all of those things. So you found that breath work to be grounding. And I always say to clients, it's totally fine to take medication to get through hard periods. Yep. There's not, there's no shame in mental illness. There's no shame in using medication, better living through chemistry. Yep. It's when it becomes a crutch and, and problematic when you're not working on the issues or the, the substance has stopped working. Yeah. Like there always has to be a reassessment because our consciousness, our physical bodies are constantly shifting. And I'm, I'm proud of you for going to get help, especially when you're having some rocky times, which I know that so many of us are experiencing in, in sometimes more subtle ways than others, yeah. right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's one thing I really want to say, I want to make known about medication is like, yeah, please don't take any of that as saying I, I'm not for medication. Um, I think it's absolutely necessary um, in certain instances. The problem is when, like you said, it becomes a crutch, like there, you, there's this outdated theory that we have chemical imbalances in our brain that cause depression and anxiety. And that's not necessarily the case. It's trauma, <laughs> right? Medication is supposed to be a temporary thing used in conjunction with therapy to um, create new neural pathways in your brain to allow you to adopt healthier coping mechanisms. So then you can wean yourself off of the medication and now you've got these neuro new neural pathways and skills to use. That That is the purpose of medication. How would you describe neural pathways, Maggie? I just, you know, that's not, it's a term I'm familiar with and I would describe it one way, but you as a practitioner, how would you describe that? Uh, just established patterns of behavior really, or established patterns of thinking or reacting. The way you've always done things, there's, there's like a pathway for, oh, I mean, like, okay, consider smoking cigarettes. One thing when people quit smoking is so difficult is like, if you're in a car ride, or if you have a cup of coffee, like you, when you start to habitually associate, have, have a cigarette with a cup of coffee, you create that neural pathway in your brain that's a new one that says, that associates those two, says, oh, when I have this cup of coffee, I need a cigarette. So when you quit smoking, every time you stop, you stop having a cigarette with your cup of coffee, 
you start to disintegrate that old neural pathway and create the new neural pathway that says, oh, I can just have this cup of coffee and I don't need a cigarette with it. It's as basic as that. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming on. And I, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything that we missed that you wanted to to talk about. Like, how can, um, what kind of clients would you want to attract to your practice? Who do you feel like you're most useful to right now that, that could seek you out for uh, mental health support and counseling or trauma support? And, you know, is there anything that you want to share as an Aries human about your experience that we didn't get a chance to chat about? Oh, geez. I mean, I have a psychology today profile that kind of goes down the list of look me up. Maggie Catherine suits is what I'm under. I, in my write up, like my little about me section, um, I talk about, uh, working with, like, I, I prefer to work with a diverse population of folks, uh, multicultural BIPOC gender identities, things like that. Trauma, obviously I have like a holistic, eclectic, humanistic way, like approach to therapy. And I absolutely use feminism and everything because I think everyone can use feminism, but it's like a, from a multicultural feminist approach. Yeah. And I think just being like, finally, oh yeah, that's one thing that we were, you and I were talking about before we started interviewing was um, being an Aries and gender identity. I finally recently, just really in the past couple of months or so, have started to move toward the non-binary identification where on forums I'm starting to click non-binary because when you look at my chart, I am split 50-50 down the middle. Like I am 50% male and 50% female. And when I look back on my life, that really rings true. Like when I was growing up, I had super short hair and people mistook me for a boy all the time. When you asked me what my pronouns were and you said that there's an option for she, they, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I really feel like I am, I am both, but a lot of the time I do lean toward feminine more than masculine. So yeah, she, they. Well, it's just, I mean, they call it a spectrum for a reason. And as we collectively break the binary, of course, it's going to be a little messy while we're figuring out how to readjust and realign in, in a, in a spectrum in a circle rather than in a black and white and a yin and yang and you're trying to find that that blend right that that interconnectivity boundaries spiritual boundaries are really really important and i think creating a better relationship or closer relationship with spirit or source or whatever you want to call it um to help protect you or even saying mantras or even just like putting your metaphysical foot down and being like nope nothing nothing negative is crossing my doorway um you're not allowed in this house if you do i'm kicking your ass out you know like you have to stand up to that because i mean i had a shadow figure follow me and torment me for 20 years until i finally put my foot down and stared it down and said fuck you if you can't tell me why you're here then you don't have any more power over me and you're done And it never came back. 
other things have tried, but because I have stronger boundaries, they're they're not in. They they're not allowed to get in. Don't do drama. Don't do fear. Just call out what you're draw the line. Yeah, right. I just wanted to put that one out there in case there's anyone else out there who experiences things like that and doesn't know what to do. Don't do don't do drama. (laughs) Don't feed into their bullshit. You know, EMDR trauma counseling boundaries all that feels really feels like it could help somebody out there so i appreciate you uh let me pick your brain a little yeah. bit maggie you good girl <laughs> it's a good song you should check it out <laughs> that was maggie suits you can find her on psychology today um is maggie Catherine suits to look up her profile Maggie mentioned the violet flame of transmutation, which is a technique used in a lot of energy lineages, um, specifically to the Reiki lineage that Maggie and I both study within. Um, uh, Joy Renee, who was my, uh, my master in this lineage until I started studying with her student, taught us the violet flame of transmutation as a way to serve the energy so that we're not taking on other people's stuff, right? And she used this lovely image of Linus from <laughs> from the Peanuts gang from the Charlie Brown series, who's this little no, it wasn't it wasn't Linus, it was Pigpen. So she utilized Pigpen who was always like covered in dust and dirt and there was it looked like there's just a cloud of muck. Uh, surrounding him all the time, this little little cute creature. And she used that imagery of pig pen to describe how most people don't clean up their energy. And she would use the story of, you know, have you ever gone into a grocery store and you were in a great mood and by the time you leave the store, you are angry or sad or anxious and you can't figure out what happened? Um that's when people leave their muck trails of energy behind them. And so she taught us the use of the violet flame of transmutation, which uh, it's too in-depth to get in in a, in a short segment here. So I'll make a note to do a full, full illustration of that energy. But um, it's an intelligent energy direct from source, just like Reiki. Um, I know that the Touch for Health uh, people call it the amethyst flame. You can use that visual of amethyst. Uh, it's known as the violet flame of transmutation from the school of, of thought that I, I learned from. And just by calling it in, I decree and invoke the use of the violet flame of transmutation to disperse and transmute this energy to its highest form for the best of all involved. Something like that. You know, you don't want to get too too off color with it. Uh, and you certainly don't want to call it the violent flame of transmutation, which is a, it's a nice inside joke with our, <laughs> with our group of Reiki students. But the violet flame, again, is an intelligent energy direct from source, there to provide you with an additional tool uh, to transmute karma and to, to take it away. The... The kicker here, there's always, you know, there's always a trick to everything is that you can, you can transmute anything 
but you can also choose to pick it back up within three seconds, you know, Uh, and that's often the case. You know, we, we ask the violet flame for help. It'll help. But you are the one who gets to decide whether you pick up that negative crap again. So just a note to the the wise. Um, I decree and invoke the use of the violet flame of transmutation. Is all you need to say. It is here. It is real. I decree and invoke asking that energy to provide its support for you for the duration of your, your energy kind of considering it. You can imagine yourself breathing in a violet colored flame. Uh, imagine yourself being in, engulfed in that violet colored flame. And it's, it's really, it works. It works, people. Just allowing yourself to kind of work with that energy. If you're getting upset, if you're feeling worked up, just allow yourself to cleanse with the violet flame. Um, it's a really useful tool. <laughs> I actually made a whole film about that. Just saying that line, useful tool. Uh, back when I was a youngin, I wrote a film called Flick. And the tool in the film is a violet colored lighter. So now you're getting the insider for the insider detail on an independent film I made so long ago that I kind of get sick about it. <laughs> I think 13 years or something. Um All right. Well, I'm going to hand the mic back over to Angela, who's going to share her story now. Angela, you are one of my favorite Aries humans, and it's our season. So welcome. Welcome to the space. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I I love starting to ask people about like what kind of soil you came up in, but, you know, we're, we're talking about being Aries, being Aries women and what it feels like to be stir crazy for an entire lifetime. Right. Right. And I resonate so much with other Aries women because of that. I mean, I, I know it's part of the human condition sometimes to be stir crazy, but I feel like as an Aries, we identify very much with that restlessness and that drive and that, constant need for adventure the sense of adventure the chasing the adventure the change the fight you know ruled by mars there's always a fight and a battle you know and it's usually if there's really not one i'm creating one that's about accurate (laughs) Mm -hmm. right so many and i think the saddest part is um that in my youth especially that restlessness um, led me to some serious discontent. And in it, there was a lot of hurtful behavior in that quest to find the battle. And I I couldn't see it then because I was in the middle of it, right in the middle of it. And I think there was a lot of pain involved with it. Um, That fight, that that need to, you know, it's almost like born with this need to survive, but we're so comfortable in this world. (laughs) It's a wonderful life that we have, right? And, um, and yet we're out there, you know, trying to fight for that survival because it seems instinctual. And I never, ever wanted the adventure to end. So it was it was harmful to relationships and it was harmful to my sense of, um, to my sense of self, really, because I couldn't sit still enough to finish things. You know, I, I went to seven different undergraduate colleges before I got the job done. I mean, this is a true story. You know, I, I battled with alcoholism and drug addiction. I, I was constantly looking for that high, that 
that escape hatch, that way up the mountain, you know, that thrill and that uh, constant seeking, constant seeking. And it really stemmed from a restlessness and a discontent and a fear of my own mortality is what I'm finding as I get older <laughs> and calmer. What what wisdom have you found over the years? I mean, I didn't know about the seven different undergraduate programs, but that seems really oh, on God. brand. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, if this is true, what I've read, um, with the areas ruled by the head, you know, I mean, there's a battle of depression and anyone who is human battles depression, but anyone who's human in Aries and has, you know, a proclivity to, to use drugs and party a lot in their youth, um, you know, that depression is amplified. So I think what I found was my way out of a lot of the internal battle. And that took a long time. I mean, I I did some things I'm not proud of. I, I destroyed two marriages in, you know, my youth by the time I was 34, you know. Um, I found myself coming home. And I met you out in New York, which was such a gift in this lifetime. And when I came home, you remember I was, um, I was very troubled, and coming home, though, was back to, you know, the Midwest was the best thing for me because I, I had to sit with myself. There was not enough adventure here time for myself, and I somehow, you know, by the grace of all the powers that be, found uh, a sense of calm here again. You know, I kind of got grounded. Um, and I had to look at myself, and I found that I was really just afraid. You know, I've been running, I've been fighting, um, and what I found was that I had to, I really had to stop the fight in a sense. You know, I, I'm never going to be without wanting adventure, but I made some kind of peace that I was either going to live a life in agony, chasing, and you know abusing substances and not being able to adequately couple with people um, or with friends or with loved ones uh, or you know I, I was just kind of isolating myself on this adventure in my mind right and, and I didn't want to live like that anymore so as I'm coming into God, middle age and this is really the reality of it um, the, I feel like the if there is a battle that has to be fought, if there is an adventure that has to be chased down, it's in, you know, the battle's in advocating for others now, and uh, the adventure is in, like, right-sizing myself and being okay with reality, you know, that there are so many beautiful, blissful moments in reality unaltered. And just being able to sit with that. I mean, it's really hard to sit still with that, but it's such a gift when I can. Do you feel like there were any trigger points, either when things got too calm or too easy? Is that when you would create disorder so that you had something to agitate or move you on to the next thing? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. Um, and I can look back and see, especially the first thing that comes to mind is relationships. I'm always, you know, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm so in love. This love is a drug. This is the person. This is the fantasy. This is the answer. This is the, this is the everything, right? And then I'm terrified. Okay? And then I'm 
faced with the wounds of my childhood, the wounds of what I perceive are my own inadequacies. And I, in my youth, and I'm trying harder not to be, was so irresponsible with my fears and my pain that I couldn't see how hurtful I was to others. So in being triggered by my own inadequacies is really what it came down to. Um, I would blow it up from the inside, and that would look like um, that would look like you know me drinking too much and disappearing in the city at night and not coming home, or um, deciding that uh, you know this is what I did a lot, and I don't know if this is the Aries thing because we battle deciding that the other person, my love usually was the enemy, right? Like they couldn't understand me completely. You know, what human being can ever be understood completely? Did I offer to understand someone else completely? No. But in my mind, there was a battle and and it was almost like um yeah, you know, I'm I'm not diagnosing myself, but you know, like that that borderline personality where the intensity of the fear of rejection is so strong that you create the fight and you blow the relationship up from the inside out. And um, and that usually was just by completely irresponsible behavior and disappearing into drugs or alcohol or some other fantasy I created in my mind. Like, I had to move, you know, I had to start a new career, I had to find this other person, this other person understood, you know, that person stopped loving me, obviously, so, because <laughs> now they've become the enemy, right, and, you know, I, I could rationalize that that was the reason to move on to the next, I mean, and, and I look back, and it, it's so sad, and so hurtful, and such absolute insanity, that um, I'm, I'm really glad that I don't live that way, but I still have to be mindful of the triggers that you mentioned, because while it might not be as intense, as I mellow out and as I've gotten some years of sobriety and as I've, you know, cleaned up my life a bit, uh, the, the triggers still remain and the behavior can still kick in. And that behavior really means that if I fear abandonment, I abandon. And I switch course and find a new mountain and I'm running up it. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been hard for you to ask for help or to find, you know, groups of friendships? Are you, are you pretty one-to-one with friend groups or have you, have you found where you fit in that, that you don't have to constantly be alone and independent and doing your own thing? That has been coming up so much lately. My inability to ask for help. Um, I am blessed with some really good friends and I have to, you know, looking back, I think, of all the crazy things I did and all the bridges I burned, I still have a really good um, handful of super close friends uh, and all women, which is really great, uh, which is important for me because I, I need to, I need to connect with other women. I need to help lift other women up as they lift me up. And I think for a very long time, did this masculine energy, like I have this and I was in, competition with men and I didn't understand why I just was you know it's like I didn't, did I want did I wish that I had been born one ah, 
probably, you know, I'm coming to that conclusion too, but in that, I had this very masculine, isolated sense that I had to do it myself, I had to figure it out myself, I couldn't admit if I didn't know something, and, you know, I'll be damned if I'm going to ask for help, so that has, um, that has been a problem for me all my life, I'm getting better, you know, in recovery, in the softening of my own ego, uh, <laughs> edges around, like, all the places I'm afraid of you getting to know, um, you know, I, I, I have met some wonderful women such as yourself, and it's easier, it's easier to open up, it's still hard to ask for help, because there's this sense of, I, if I get real, real with myself, there's this sense of failure, I feel, in not being able to somehow figure it out myself, and, and the sense of disappointment in burdening others, and I think that that's a really twisted um, mindset that I, you know, I'd like to work on chipping away now, because we, we need each other, it takes a village, as I found out, having a child, you know, I, I cannot do everything myself all the time, it is impossible, and I, I have to relinquish that power, that false sense of power, right, there's really no control here. I think you and I have a lot in common. I mean, not only the the journey with recovery and being Aries sun sign woman with a lot of fire and a lot of spontaneity, but I, I guess that I see patterns in both of us that like we're looking we're looking for bonding, looking for community, whether that's through a relationship or otherwise, and then we get it, and then we feel like we're trapped in it either because yeah. we we accidentally pick the wrong partner because of our idealism or thinking that we're unworthy of, of healthy partnership. I think part of that right. is the, the drama with recovery. Like you said earlier, love is a drug um, right. for, for many of us who are trying to like, you know, switch our brain chemistry from wanting one substance, but still seeking that, <laughs> that right. fix. Um, right. Right. So then it's like, you have to, it's like we create, we create prisons so we can break out of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I have to have my comeback kid story. I have to have my Phoenix rising from the ashes. I have to keep burning myself down to the ground to reinvent myself, to resurrect. It's like this nonstop, but it's exhausting, right? Like there's there's nothing rational about that, but I feel personally, and I don't know, maybe this resonates with you too. And you mentioned the, you know, we want that bond with, but then we're breaking free of the chains. We're on to the next adventure where we have to roam. We have to, to find new ground. And, and it's, I don't know why. I don't know why it is that I can't just sit and be so contented in, you know, the grace of, all that I've been given and not still feel like what if there's something else over there on the horizon (laughs) I got to see that you know or where is the where is the you know the victory without that horrible battle like I had to crash and burn myself in New York every possible way (laughs) come back from it yeah the the constant of change I think, I think Aries get that better than anybody else. <laughs> We're quite resilient. I think that's the thing that I find that you just, you, you speak your piece, you move on, you get to the mm-hmm. next thing. We're so comfortable with destruction and renovation of rebuilding. And I think right. there might be a connection between like 
that Mars rulership between mm-hmm. Scorpio and Aries. I think that there's something really dynamic about, you know, you have a, a cardinal fire sign and a fixed mm-hmm. water sign, yet there, there are some things that are kind of in common, that idea of like constant transformation and self-work. And I think that seeing this protest go, go by is a, is a good place to kind of transition to where you have decided on your career, you know, in mm-hmm. your early forties with a young daughter that you've decided to peel back the layers of, mm-hmm. of everything that you've told yourself about what you could and could not do. And you have been in law school for a couple of years now, your second year entirely during the pandemic and online. Yeah. 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 Oh God. Yeah. Um, so I'm at the end of my, well, coming up to the end of my 2L second year. And yeah, we started in real life in real classes um, the first year. And then that second semester, we had a bit of trial. We do trial advocacy and we do um, a clinic, which is amazing. You know, Drake is a phenomenal university. But what happened was the timing of it was, you know, we were out of classes for the trial. And then we had a spring break and then COVID was upon us. And we, we really never went back. And Drake had a smooth transition. You know, they, they had a suspicion that things were going to have to shift online and, and it was seamless. But that didn't mean it was easy for all of us, you know, in the whole wide world uh, to adjust to, you know, you know, we live in Zoom world now. And here we are and, and in law school. There's a Socratic method, which, you know, means you show up to class and you hope to God you don't get called on because it's one question after another, right? Um, so that is kind of lost on Zoom. And that's sad to me because, you know, we do the best we can, but um, it really, the spontaneity of needing to think on your feet and speak on your feet and, um, and just really be present in the classroom like we had to be has sales and, and different layers kind of over it you know we're be we're between screens and and um the laps and time and sometimes you know your connection is bad and then it it kind of takes away from (laughs) from the thrill that the Aries loves (laughs) you know but um but god it's been the heat of the moment the heat of a moment exactly but it has been such a gift and I mean being in law school um at this time in the world with the pandemic with Black Lives Matters, um, with you know, this crazy election process, um, I I feel so absolutely blessed, so grateful. My timing couldn't have been better. It's like the universe opened up and said, it's your time to go to law school. You'll see why. Check it out. You want an adventure? <laughs> Here you go. And, and I would have kicked myself, you know, early. Oh, I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too... Somehow I've gotten to a point where I accept it all and it couldn't have been any other way. You know, I always wanted to go to law school. I talked myself out. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't sober enough to, you know, show up to class. God knows when I was younger, I probably was a basket case and, you know, would have had multiple nervous breakdowns up to this point, my, you know, my first year at least. Um, But no, I mean, now I, I can handle it and it's not easy, but it's, it's important to me and it's not important to me in the way it would have been important to my young Aries ego. It's important to me in the way that I see how I can shift that to 
advocate for others because um, because that is what I'm focusing on. It's it's not a journey to to make money because God knows I'll be paying loans back forever. Um, and I do want to get into some juvenile work, which we can talk about. But um, but what I know is that I I just feel so blessed at this time in my life to be to have the opportunity to make this change for me, for my daughter, for for any way that I can contribute to society with whatever brain, you know, I've been given. It it needs to be put to work for others instead of sitting on a bar stool imagining that I'm gonna write the next great American novel, you know. <laughs> That's so so I'm I'm right where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> on a bar stool yeah, about to write fantasy it. Land. yeah yeah <laughs> i was gonna write um, it tomorrow <laughs> why do i have the same fantasy what is that about i don't know i don't know i, don't know. Uh, I mean it's just no. fantasy still there without the bar stool but it's just like yeah okay well you have to put in the work angela if you're gonna... <laughs> the reality of putting in the work in real life instead of, you know, in my mind and fantasy land has become very apparent through the years of sobriety I've been gathering. I'm like, this is all really hard work. Wow. Okay. Okay. I know. It's it's funny that I have like both of us have sustained discipline when it comes to something as obvious as addiction. Mm-hmm. Right? But I know that both of us chase after <laughs> instant gratification I'm... on a regular basis. I know. I know. Yeah. And for you to do something as notoriously, uh, notoriously difficult as law school, you know, to put yourself through that torture. I mean, what's more, what's more masochistic? Right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe running the marathon the first year. Losing a couple toenails. Maybe that's, but you know, I'm like, pile it on. That's, that's the way I roll. <laughs> Pile it on. Oh God! How how has running benefited your energy levels and finding like a committed practice that help you to keep your cool, your emotional well being? Like, I want to hear how you've learned to take care of your Aries fire. Right. And you know, you you help me when I have bad nights. I'm like Angela, what's going on with me? And you're like, girl, I see you. I get it. Sometimes yeah. I'm serious. Sometimes there is nothing. Right? You get that red hot fire of irritability and there is nothing that calms it down and you're like oh my god what am I gonna do and sometimes it's like that's when I need to run and sometimes that's when I need to run far and that's not something my body's gonna let me do forever right so I'm gonna have to you know reinvent what that looks like probably soon but it's that it's it's the breathing because I think what it is with the running is if it becomes painful, if it becomes arduous, if it becomes, and it doesn't for me for a while. Like I've got a pretty, I've learned, I'm, I used to think I was you know, a pretty big baby about this. Like, I've got a pretty decent threshold for physical pain. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. But for me, that's how I unraveled those red hot irritabilities, you know, without drinking, without drugs anymore. I just, I like, I run and I breathe. And, you know, there's, for me personally, there's a lot of prayer while I'm running and not always, you know, sometimes the music's on, sometimes the music's off. Um, The more I run, the less I need music on, the more I just want to be with nature and with, um, with the smell and the breeze, you know, anything 
any thought in my head or any sound outside of, you know, my head is actually better, but um, you know, I can really dig in if I need to and just kind of hammer it out as I'm, as I'm hitting the pavement. You know, I think about the old um, philosophers that were peripatetic and they walked and they talked and they thought and they walked. I'm like, well, I'm really revved up, so I can run and think. And sometimes I can talk to myself or with a group, um, which we haven't been able to do with COVID as much. Uh, you know, I really get out of my system the anxieties that run my life, the anxieties that get me into trouble, the anxieties that get me into hurting other people because I'm blinded by my own pain. And, um, that, I mean, that's, that's really, if I can make living amends in my sober life, the learning to not hurt others because I'm blinded by my own pain is top on the list. So back to law school, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, I mean, Aries is associated with social activism, mm-hmm. leadership, mm-hmm. pioneering. And I know that you had a, a family relative that was a judge and that's something that you've been interested in. And of course, being, you know, white bodied female, um, I mean, this is, this is progress, mm-hmm. right? Like getting, right. getting men out of there to begin with, or, you know, replacing them with more, um, more of that kind of insight. And I think that, you know, Aries women tend to have those, as my mom would ca- call the yin yang energy, yeah. you know, the, the kind of both, both qualities in a way, as you mentioned, like you have a competition, masculinity and an independence and a bravery inside of you that you've been doing a lot on your own for a long time. And that includes like this journey into a new profession um, what drew you there and what do you see yourself doing? What really gave me the push to do it, and it still took me a while to do it. Um, I had, actually, I didn't even know I was pregnant with Sophia yet, my daughter. Um, I was taking um, some recovery work to a halfway house um, with my friend Bonnie. And we would go every Tuesday night. Uh, to a place called Fresh Start, the fifth district correctional facility for gals that, you know, get out of Mitchellville and they're building their lives back up. And you know, we sat around and we talked to those women and we listened to their experiences and we we told them what we did um, to not use drugs or drink anymore. And, you know, I didn't have, um, I was lucky not to have a lot of legal scrapes. You know, I, I was really lucky not to get arrested as some of these women got in the system, usually they got one arrest, then they got two, and then pretty soon they're hanging out with somebody, and they got three, and then they got a felony, and then they got a kid getting taken away, and then they're looking at termination of parental rights, and I mean, and they can't get sober, and they can't get a job, and you know, so they're back in Mitchellville, or once in a while you get that, you hope that you, they all make it, you know, you're pulling for them, you're sitting with them, you're feeling their pain with them, and all you want is to help them get out of the system, and it's so hard, you know, it breaks your heart, so what we've got is, you know, moms and kids getting separated, and really at the base of it all is addiction and poverty, and, you know, if if the girls didn't grow up, or the women didn't grow up in that system, which a lot of them did, that's the life that they knew, that's the life that their parents had, um, 
they somehow stumbled upon it because of their own addictions or because of, you know, even often a bad relationship and being at the wrong place at the wrong time and the downward spiral sucks you in. So listening to these women's stories and you know, really pulling for them to get into recovery and out of the system and off of paper so that they could live lives that they chose to live, you know, they're not being told they're going back to Mitchellville or they're on probation or they can see their kids at this time or, you know, taking the bus. Like everything's such a struggle. And I really, I really just wanted to see them make it. And I thought, God, you know, what is it? What is it about this that, that I can do? And I just kept thinking, get your butt in law school and either advocate for these kiddos who get lost in the shuffle or, you know, start standing up for these moms and, and seeing if you can help them out. Um, and I still don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but, I, but I've been drawn more to advocating for the children and thinking that I would be, you know, a child's attorney. So I've been doing some work with the juvenile courts and an internship, which is amazing, and with a woman judge. Um, so I, I just feel like these things have lined up. Um, there have been some just some synchronicities that are unbelievable and I am um, really grateful to a lot of friends I have a friend who is a judge who who introduced me to her and I, you know I think what happened was the door opened I took a deep breath I knew it was my calling thus far I took the lunch the plunge um and and yeah I'm, I'm on my road and the doors keep opening and I think my part is always going to be really small, but I know that I can be a good attorney for a kid or for a mom in trouble. And if I, if I go and I do my part to the best of my ability from the perspective of someone who's in recovery and just trying to put the best foot forward in my own life, maybe, you know, maybe that's what that's out. Maybe that, maybe that supports someone, maybe that lifts up some kid who wants to be with mom, but that's not the best thing for that kid, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a life of more pain and a life of more struggle in the system, and that's ultimately always going to be up to the judge, but what I can do is I can pay attention, I can be aware, I can be compassionate, and I can bring information so that people that are in trouble, people that are in need of help, understand, you know, these kids understand what's going on then, and they have a fighting chance, you know, and have a fighting chance to build a life of their own without having to struggle all the time. Mm -hmm. And I struggle, I mean poverty, addiction, the same things they saw their parents go through. Abusive relationships, mm -hmm. termination of parental rights, shuffled along from foster parent to foster parent. Maybe. I I feel like these are the biggest tragedies right now in our community is that kids are suffering and if they're from troubled homes or if they're in a troubled place they're gonna get get kinda of pushed along in foster homes or they're gonna turn to maybe crime on their own and, and you know, get into detention centers and no Nobody, nobody wants to live that way. I really, I don't think so. I mean, I really think that 
I, I think we have such a sad problem with addiction. It really, when I see these problems in the court system, it all stems from addiction. So, if I can just bring And it's been so stigmatized mm-hmm. by our society. Rather yeah. than being seen as an illness, rather than being seen as a, a biological function, a psychological function, mm-hmm. people who are wired for that propensity... Um, and, and then of course, like the allure, the glamour that comes with, with some of the, um, I don't know, the, the previous like shiny of club drugs Mm -hmm. or addiction, um, artists, you know, all that kind of thing. So in to, to come out on the other end of the types of addictions that we came from and to sort of like, oh, well now I see. Now I see that I'm not a bad person. And now, you know, you, you go to, you go to spaces where people are in recovery. And I've always said, just put a paper bag over my head. (laughs) I'm the same. I'm the same as the rest of you. It doesn't matter what creed, what, what, you know, socioeconomic class that you come from, what color you are, whatever it is like this addiction comes with, it, it comes for all of us who are wired that way. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't judge. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't decide who it hits and who it doesn't hit. It's, it's kind of, um, it's insidious that way, you know, and you can't know that you're an addict until you know that you are. Right. And often that means identifying with other people that you, that you hear your story in theirs. Mm-hmm. So I hear you, you know, moving into a space of stewardship to protect and serve those who may feel a little lost on their path. And I was, I just, I read The Alchemist in 24 hours. I I, uh, hadn't read it since I was 18 years old. Um, If you're not familiar with that book, it was a seminal book by Paulo Coelho, who's a Brazilian author. And it's this beautiful parable, much like The Little Prince Mm -hmm. or any of those great stories that, that are remarkable and to touch our hearts. Um, I read it because, you know, my, I have a nephew that's uh, 16 um, that's, that's struggling a bit with um, substance abuse. And this, it's like, it's like hearing my story and another person. Um, And I, I sent them that book and I read the book and, and I was thinking about this idea of the personal legend Mm. And with Aries, you know, we who seek adventure, we who seek our prize, our story, our legend, you know, and I think you have some Leo sprinkling in your chart, if I remember correctly. Leo so. rising. Yeah, I'm on fire. Leo rising. I have an Aries moon too. So it's, it's, it's really hot in here. Really? It's hot. It's hot. I'm on fire. I'm burning myself out every day. <laughs> That is so cute. Well, I was thinking about the personal legend and like what, like maybe what you have to offer for a young person who's kind of seeking that path, you know, because you've bumped your ass Mm -hmm. along the road a lot, just as I have. Mm -hmm. And you found some clarity. Like you said, you found the door that it was like, okay, this, this is it. This is the door and I'm going to walk through it and I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith that there is something good on the other side of this. And, um, you know, maybe allude to some, some examples of when you knew it was the right thing and when you knew it was the wrong thing, but you did it anyway and what the results may have been. Right. Oh, God. The wrong thing. Uh, the wrong thing. I mean, I think we have 
you know, that consciousness, that that inner um, meter of, I don't want to say morality, but like <laughs> right and wrong, right and wrong for you in that moment. Not, you know, right and wrong in the sense that I'm judging what's right and wrong. I'm not even going to go there. But you know, it's like within yourself, I think every human being has like this, you know, this constitution within themselves and they know when they are violating something that is good for them, right? And um, I will be damned if I have not (laughs) felt myself violating my own constitution often and still wanting to go down the rabbit hole for the adventure. Um, You know, moving certain places, jumping into certain relationships, uh, yeah, getting on that plane. And (laughs) I am so thankful that I have been safe. You know, I haven't had a lot of tragedy. I haven't had a lot of um, danger. I've put myself into places of danger. It is amazing how many scrapes I have gotten out of. And that's frightening to look back on. I mean, I really, there, I, I, I really shouldn't be here. But I've learned to listen to, you know, the danger is tempting, right? The danger is tempting. And there's almost something within me that's like, oh, you're such a coward. <laughs> you're not going to go chase that adventure? What a coward. And I'm like, no. I'll give you a very physical example. There's a really high tree um, out by Waterworks Park. And somebody had um, kind of haphazardly nailed some little slabs, little two-by-fours up, like a little makeshift ladder. They weren't on there, and they weren't tight, and they weren't, you know. But I could not help but start to climb this tree. And as I'm, like, getting my footing, I look at my daughter, Sophia. She's sitting on the little swing, and I'm like, God, you know, if I fall off this tree and hit my head, and, you know, she's she's out here with mom injury. Like, this isn't state. This isn't right. Because I felt like, for the first time, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe and it wasn't responsible for me to do that. You know, things were shifting, things were squeaking, things were getting pulled off. I was getting higher and higher and my knee was hurting because I'm 43. <laughs> and I was like, God, I'm such a coward. You know, but I was like, no, maybe, maybe you're courageous in listening to the truth. And you don't like it, but the truth is you're 43 your knee hurts, you're halfway up this tree where you shouldn't be, and your daughter's down there, and you're not going to leave her, you know, (laughs) you're not going to leave her, and you're not going to, you're not going to put her at risk, so get down, so I climbed down, and, you know, I I got over my big bad self and that ego of adventure for a minute, and I thought, well, here we go, we get to both walk out of Waterworks Park on a beautiful day without any broken limbs or head injuries, and (laughs) And here we are. I mean, I laughed because I really struggled with that. And, and that's just a, a really silly example. But I think what's helped me tremendously, and I hate to say this to any young person listening, is it really has taken some time. Just time with, with age, time with acceptance, time with not waking up in the middle of the night from that deep, dark sleep where I'm kind of spiraling into the darkness of nowhere knowing that someday I will die and oh my god you know that I used to wake up to that anxiety all the time I don't really do that anymore um I I have a habitual practice I have um a morning meditation I have a time when I'm going to read my law books 
I have a time when I'm going to wake my daughter up and we're going to have breakfast. I have a time when I'm going to take her to school. I have a time when I'm going to go to school. I have a time when I'm going to pick her up when we're going to walk around the lake. Or when I, you know, I mean, I have these times and, and it's, it might sound boring to an Aries because it is usually like, I hated routine. Oh my God, get me out of any routine. I have to have that. And if you can start by little bits, one thing in the morning, yourself for 20 minutes, your gratitude list, your cup of tea and the sunrise, or if you sleep in late, you know, the birds chirping and just the fresh air, your time with yourself and some gratitude, I think is where it starts and, and routinely helps me get in touch with my constitution and knowing what's right or what's wrong, if that makes any sense at all. Totally. I really appreciate that. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? Anything that you've been contemplating prior to our interview? I do. Um, I want to say a couple of things to anyone who's struggling, especially with addiction, who isn't. Aries are not Aries, but um, I know we really make a big thing in our heads about control, power and control over ourselves. But that's, I didn't realize how much power there was in surrendering. I didn't realize how much power there was in getting healthy again, physically and mentally, um, and how that feels like such a victory, and how the friends that I've made and the love and support that I've chosen feels like, you know, you know, we are an army together. So grab onto that if you can, if you're struggling. The last thing that I thought of and um, I really love this, is that one of one of the schools I went to was the University of South Dakota. That was my first undergraduate school. And um, that is near, and that is the territory, the home of the Lakota Sioux. And they have a saying about the ram. It is to them a, a noble beast. And they say that the ram is sure of foot and brave of heart. And I really like that because I think that at our best, that's who we are. And I think that at our best, we're sure of foot and brave of heart for others who need us, not just for ourselves and that great big bad ego. <laughs> the big bad mm-hmm. ego. Mm-hmm. Watch out. Yep. Watch out for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Aries, Aries's journey, not only about bravery, you know, to learn about themselves so they can inspire others to be brave mm-hmm. and to self-actualize, but moving from self-centered to centered in self. Right. And I love, I love hearing your example of that journey, you know, just in, in simple terms of, uh, you know, exploding your life in so many ways, this like destructive force, but it's a creative force. Right. And that creativity has led you to, a really beautiful life that you've learned to find simplicity and stillness, but still like you, you're a badass and you run your face <laughs> off you. and you go to law school <laughs> and you're a single mom. I, I couldn't be more inspired by your journey and appreciate all the support that you provide for me on uh, my pathway. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you coming on today. Oh, I and I'm um, so honored. Thank you for your time and thank you for your friendship. It has been, I mean, you have been a tremendous gift and, and God, I'm so glad I met you and how wild it is that we met in New York and reconnected at home in the Midwest. I love that.
Kin is a modern mystical shop located in the heart of Des Moines, Iowa's East Village. Femcentric at its core, Kin is a woman-owned and operated business. The shop is filled with specialty products from women-owned businesses across the country. Candles, body care, the shop's Venusian energy comes in as soon as you step into the door, whether it's online or in person. Ethically sourced crystals, Palo Santo and Sage are just some of the highlights, along with an exquisite collection of vintage jewelry. Shop online at kindsm.com and let them know that Lauren sent you.